Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. You were mentioning, okay, we got Corey Davis, we got Mariota, we got Derrick Henry. Who's going to have the breakout game to give us the win? Well, if Mariota has a really good game, Corey Davis is probably going to have a good game. Um, and if Derrick Henry has a good game, it's totally, completely up to Derrick Henry, whether Derrick Henry has a good game. Uh, guys, I said that I'm paying the closest attention to on Sunday, and some of them revolve around number eight. But I didn't go with him specifically. It's obvious that the quarterback has to play well, generally, for you to win football games. Unless you have a running back that goes for 238 yards or a defense like, for example, Chicago's on Sunday against the Rams where Trubisky was awful, but the defense made sure that Jared Goff looked like rookie Jared Goff under Jeff Fisher and not second-year Jared Goff under Sean McVay or certainly what he looked like in the first half of this season. The guys I mentioned, Derrick Henry, Anthony Ferkser, which, yeah, maybe that's an odd choice, but you've lost now TE1 and TE2. So Anthony Ferkser steps in. He has not failed you yet. 16 targets, 16 receptions. You're going to need him in the intermediate game, especially if the offensive line doesn't give you as much time. Ferkser's got to find a way to go down the field, get open, turn around, present his jersey to Mariota, and then let eight find him right between the numbers. Number three was Dennis Kelly. Because he's in there for Conklin, who's now on IR officially. I don't think that he maybe should have come back yet. Seems like that was a failed attempt. And you obviously root for that guy and you want to see him back out on the field at 100%. But I don't think he ever was. So this is probably the best thing both for him and for the Titans going forward. That way he can really have the time to rehab that he needs. And this team can go forward with somebody that is healthy at that position. And a smart guy in The Undertaker. In Dennis Kelly. And then four, five, and six all had to do with Saquon Barkley, Woodyard, Brown, Evans. Woodyard and Brown, the two leading tacklers on this Titans team this season. Rashawn Evans is ninth. Took a little while for Evans to start turning it around with sort of a truncated and strange offseason, but he's done it. Now all of a sudden he's looking like the pick that he was meant to be in his rookie season, but he's going to have to have another one of those Jacksonville games, another one of those Jets games coming up here on Sunday. And you've got to tackle Saquon Barkley because that guy's special. Bill and Dixon is up next. Bill, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good, Bill. My thing is uh, is is time control of the clock, and and the defensive line has to step up, stop that running game, and the linebackers got to step up. But if they can keep the control of the time of the clock, they can't go three and out trying to pass the ball on three passes, and and go three and out, you know, four or five times in a row and give Eli, you know, you give him a chance, he's going he's gonna to ruin you. Yeah, I don't disagree. And the key to ball control staying on the field, it's not as much, I mean, the defense does need to get the ball back for the offense, but it really does come down to what Mariota and Derrick Henry and the O-line and these receivers do. And one thing that you took note of if you watched last night's Thursday night football game is... Andy Reid and his propensity to throw the football to a running back on first down. 
And we need to see more of that from Matt LaFleur. We honestly need to see more of that from virtually every team in the league because the success rate is so high. Williams is out here, first down and 10, gets 19, gets 17, gets 16. Those are far better than runs. And they're pretty safe. And you've got a guy in Deion Lewis that knows exactly how to turn around and catch a ball. The Patriots have been masters of it. They didn't. I don't even think they do it as much as they could, but James White has always been known more for his receiving, certainly. Kevin Falk made a career out of doing just that kind of thing. They've always got a guy, Danny Woodhead, for a time was that guy. Screens need to be used more often, and they need to be utilized properly. And last night, even though they lost, Andy Reid showcased a blueprint of how to do that. I would like to see more of that from Matt LaFleur. That helps the chains. It helps the running game. It may present space for your wide receivers to get deeper down the field. If you've got linebackers having to account for Deion Lewis five yards off the ball, for example, these are things that I would like to see. DJ in Nashville up next. DJ, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, uh, I feel like uh, we're going to have to have Derrick Henry and our offensive line perform this week. Uh, we need to control the time of possession. We need to keep the ball out of Barkley's hands and, uh, you know, control the pace. No doubt. And Henry is the kind of guy that can set the tone and set the pace. He can set a physical tone. We saw that. He can also set a tempo tone. He can run like the wind if you give him half the space. Two of the fastest runs of the year came courtesy of Derrick Henry, one against the Dolphins in the loss, and then the fastest run all year long, clocked by next-gen stats, the 54-yard, not the 99, but the 54-yard touchdown run against the Jaguars eight days ago. Henry moves the chains. He keeps the ball in your hands. You want third down and manageable. That's all you want. You don't want to sit there staring at third down and nine, third down and 11, even third down and eight. You want that dude getting you four yards on a fairly consistent basis. And I think the key to that is to utilize the short to intermediate passing game. It's not been a strength for Mariota. I think he's more accurate 15 or more yards down the field than he has been in that 7 to 11 range. But Deion Lewis has got to find his way back out on the field. And if he's able to, if we're able to see a couple of situations where we have two back sets, Deion Lewis is able to catch the ball out of the backfield, or you can turn around and hand it to Derrick Henry. That gives the defense something to look at. And the Giants' defense is nothing stellar. They will turn you over, so you better protect the ball. But you can have them if you do it that way. Joey in Portland next. Joey, how are you? I'm good, Jay Mar. How you doing tonight? Good. Um, you know, one of the unsung heroes, I think, of this defense who's coming on that nobody is mentioning is Sharif Finch. I mean, he is starting over a veteran linebacker, and he is an undrafted free agent rookie. And, I mean, he's just – he's put it all out there. He's great on special teams. And last week against the uh, the Jaguars, I mean, he had a sack and a half yep. and a fumble recovery. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. He has He's played in every game this year, has Sharif Finch. He's got one and a half sacks. He knocked the ball out of Cody Kessler's hands on Thursday night, last Thursday night. Got his first career fumble recovery there. He's had 180 total defensive snacks. The snaps. Maybe, maybe he has total defensive snacks. 180 snaps. That's third in the league among undrafted rookie linebackers. There's a guy from the Jets and then Tay Davis from the Giants. Their inside linebacker has three more than he does. But Finch is now second in defensive snaps by a Titans undrafted rookie since 2005. Only one other guy has done more than that. 
189 plays for Sean Conover in 2006. So it looks like Finch is probably going to take that from him before the end of the season. 615-737-1045, 737-1045. That's how to join us. Steven, we got to take a break. We'll get to you on the other side. We'll take more of your phone calls also. I got to go after Alabama tonight, and I've got something that I want you to think about regarding Minnesota's former offensive coordinator. All that is next. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Lost Weekend, the name of this tune by Pete Yorn. Hopefully it won't be a lost weekend for you. Hopefully it will not be a loss weekend for the Tennessee Titans coverage Sunday afternoon right here on 1045 The Zone. Begins with the Lee Company countdown to kickoff. As always, we're all going to have our eyes peeled. We're all going to be watching. And if you want to watch in person at Nissan Stadium, you still have a chance to do that this season. Get your tickets to see the Titans take on the skins December the 22nd by visiting TitansOnline.com. That's TitansOnline.com. Single game tickets are now on sale. Okay. So, one other stat I wanted to mention quickly about this Titans-Giants game is the turnover battle. The Giants are plus five in that category this year. They have given it away 14 times. They've turned it over, or they've turned someone else over, rather, 19 times. Tennessee is minus four. If Tennessee does not win the turnover battle on Sunday, they're going to have a hard time winning. We saw a pick six from the Giants, taking Mark Sanchez to the house early, and pretty much... Glad to have you with us. Jason Martin with you on a Friday night. It's the big six here on 1045 The Zone. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. 615-737-1045 always if you want to join the program. Titans Giants coming up on Sunday. We'll see. We will see. Should be a dramatic game. Hopefully it will be a well-played game. And there are definitely some factors on both sides that need to be accounted for. On Wednesday's show, we kind of drifted from the script a bit and decided to talk about unscripted moments in sports and how that spontaneity and that level of unpredictability is one of the reasons sports is so great. Maybe the greatest reason. Because you never know what you're going to see when you buy a ticket. You never know quite what's going to happen. And a lot of it came from thinking about Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson back in 1990 at the Tokyo Dome, which was chronicled in that 42 to 1, 30 for 30 documentary that ran earlier this week. And I had you guys call in and give me, you know, moments that just shocked you to your core that you still remember. And we had guys call in talking about 1960 that they still remember 58 years later. And I said, that's, that's what sports means to us. But I want to talk about something else that I'm not sure gets enough attention. And it is that despite the money that people in the professional level of sports can make, that doesn't necessarily mean it's an easy life. You know, you hear stories about DeMar DeRozan or Kevin Love or any number of pro athletes dealing with depression. And, you know, finally coming out and admitting to that and saying, look, I know it looks like I have it all, but I don't. Think about Chris Cornell and any group of musicians that may have taken a few extra pills or whatever it might be 
It can be tough. But here's a perfect example of a script that got revised in really quick form. And it speaks to the difficulty of working in pro sports. About a month ago, John Filippo was being called the next Sean McVay. He was the hot NFL coordinator. He's running fast-paced, high-powered offense. He's got Kirk Cousins. He's got the two best route-running wideouts in the game in Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. The script had John Filippo interviewing for multiple head coaching positions in the offseason and being able to pick whichever one he wanted. As everybody is searching for the next great offensive mind, that's where we're headed. Robert Mays of the Ringer, Paul Kaharski, and I talked when I was in on the Midday 180 a couple of weeks ago that Robert Mays of the Ringer had suggested that no one should hire a defensive head coach in the NFL at all right now. That it's just, it makes no sense for the game. That Lincoln Riley and guys like that, that's where we're headed. And that's what you need with the new rules and the kind of stuff we're seeing from Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City and, of course, Sean McVay and Doug Peterson and Frank Reich last year with the Eagles. So you're not supposed to do that. So everybody's talking about John D. Filippo. It seemed can't miss. Everybody's talking about this guy. Guess what? This week they're talking about him for an entirely different reason. Because he was fired as the offensive coordinator in Minnesota after the Vikings performed stagnantly, to say the least, against Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football. He became Mike Zimmer's huckleberry. He became his fall guy, his scapegoat. And Mike Zimmer has this weird habit over the last few years of passing the buck anytime something goes wrong. He does not take responsibility. Notice after McVeigh lost on Sunday to the Bears, he deflected any criticism to Jared Goff that he could and instead said, this is all on me, when it certainly was not. Mike Vrabel does the same thing here in Nashville. As a first-year head coach, he takes a lot of responsibility on himself. He does not throw any of his players under the bus. And I think he should be applauded for that. What Mike Zimmer's doing is making me question why I thought he would have been a great fit here years ago. He was the guy that I thought the Titans should have gone after in that season where you had Hugh Jackson out there and you had Mike Zimmer out there and you had all of these folks. I thought Zimmer should have ended up here. I thought he'd have been perfect here. And look, the Vikings have had success. But Mike Zimmer appears to be a guy that, no, it ain't me. So I don't know if I want that guy. But the script has definitely changed for John D. Filippo. The difficulty of this job. John D. Filippo today is 40 years old. 40. I heard Scott Van Pelt run this down a couple days ago, and I immediately began thinking about it. John D. Filippo began at Fordham in 2000 as the quarterback's coach. Then he worked as a grad assistant at Notre Dame in 01 and 02. He then went to Columbia for two years as the quarterback's coach, then became the offensive quality control coach for the New York Giants in 05 and 06. From there, he went from east to west and became the Oakland Raiders quarterback's coach in 2007 and 2008. In 2009, quarterback's coach for the New York Jets. 
In 2010, he goes back to college and back to the West Coast again to become the quarterback's coach for San Jose State. In 2011, he stayed there and became the offensive coordinator as well. Next year, 2012, back in the NFL. Oakland Raiders quarterback's coach for the second time, this time through 2014, his longest stint in a job in his career, three years. Then in 2015, he became the OC of the Cleveland Browns. In 2016 and 27, he's a quarterback's coach in Philly for the Eagles. He wins that ring last year, and then he goes to Minnesota this year where he was just fired in the middle of his first season. Folks, if you total up what I just said, and I'm not going to make you do it, or I'm just going to tell you, that is 11 different jobs for John Filippo in 18 years. He is 40 years old. His Wikipedia page lists all of it. There is not a word on his Wikipedia page about his personal life. Think for a second just how difficult, how taxing that would be on a family, especially a young family, a wife, perhaps children. I was talking to Brett Bryan about it earlier, Titans Radio executive producer, and he was suggesting it's kind of like being an army brat, and it really is. This business, this sports thing, it is really cutthroat, and it is a true meritocracy. John Filippo's script has been entirely, completely revised. It's been struck through. It's been redlined. It's been thrown out 11 times in 18 years. And within the confines of about six weeks, it just went from him being one of the most sought-after potential new NFL head coach names to a guy fired for an ineffective offense in Minnesota without even a full season to try and get it right. Sometimes changing the script can be downright mean, can it? It comes with the territory, but I'm not sure we ever stop sometimes and think about the hardship that comes with that level of turnover. I'm glad I'm not that guy. I can't even imagine what that's like. Just some food for thought. Let's make you smarter on the way out the door. Last night, Phillip Rivers, last five seconds of the game, beats the Chiefs on a two-point conversion. Oh, boy, that was terrible coverage. How rare is that, though? First time in 16 years an NFL team scored a two-point conversion to win a game with 10 seconds or less remaining. Last time before last night, Dante Culpepper did it. He ran it in himself for the Vikings in 2002 for a 32-31 win over the Saints. After fumbling the snap, picks it up and runs it in. December 16th, 2002, nearly 16 years to the day Rivers did it for the Chargers. That was rare what we saw last night. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night. Fox Sports Radio next.